Well, good morning, Harvest. Happy birthday. Uh, wasn't it like so nice of us to give you an extra hour of sleep as a birthday present? Um, we made that happen, so you're welcome for that. Um, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 3. And, um, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to a family um, this morning who was part of the uh, um, founding kind of core members that planted this church 11 years ago. And they had a son at um, the time who was five years old. And uh, that five-year-old was our keys player uh, this week, helping lead us at worship. And it's just one of the cool things about being at a place at a long time, seeing the faithfulness of God, seeing people come up in the faith. It's been such a, just a cool weekend already. And uh, this is another special weekend for us because this weekend we're going to celebrate baptisms, which means uh, my message is going to be shorter. I'm going to get out of the way. Our worship team is going to get out of the way. And we're going to finish our time together by celebrating what God's doing in hearts and lives by hearing from you. And um, I like to be honest. I like to be upfront. So I'm going to let you know where we're going right now. Um, I am going to, at the end of my message, make a challenge, a call, or an ask for those of you in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have not yet been baptized since coming to faith in Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come forward and get baptized. And uh, I, am, uh, I understand that there's three types of people in this room. Um, some of you are here and you're like, yeah, I want to get baptized today. And that's awesome. And maybe you've talked to a pastor, you're ready to go. Like, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready. There was a little kid before the service kind of walking the path that you go through, getting himself pumped up and ready to do it. Like, that's awesome. Some of you are on the fence and you're like, man, like, I'm not sure if I'm gonna get baptized. I've kind of been feeling like I need to do it, but I'm, I'm nervous, I'm not sure. It's gonna depend on how good of a song Taylor sings after Cal's son preaching. And if he does a good job and if I'm really feeling it, then maybe I'll go up and get baptized. And then there's some of you that's like, there ain't no way I am getting in a tank and getting dunked today. Like it is not happening. And uh, if that's you, that's okay. I've never been afraid of a challenge. So you keep building up those walls and then we'll watch the Holy Spirit tear them down at the end. Does that sound good? Um, but we're driving to something very, very specific. It's an act of obedience. And um, the way we're gonna do that is we're gonna have a conversation about identity. And uh, we're in a worldview series, and um, you know one of the things we've been trying to do in this series is we're trying to show you how a Christian worldview and secular humanism, the worldview of our culture, they start at very, very different places, don't they? The secular humanism worldview, it starts with us. What do I want? What makes me feel most fulfilled, satisfied, validated? There is no God. Everything is about me. The Christian worldview says that's not the starting place of, of the universe or our lives, that God is, that he's the creator, he is the authority, we exist to glorify and worship him. And, and so if we start at different places, um, we're going to land at different places on almost everything in our lives. And what we've been trying to explain is when it comes to things like sex, work, money, we shouldn't be surprised that these worldviews arrive at different places. But what's interesting is, is actually when it comes to the issue of identity, there is some agreement between secular humanism and a Christian worldview in the sense that both believe your identity is super important. No matter who you talk to, everyone would say that, that understanding what your identity is, having an identity is massively important to a healthy life and a healthy existence. There's a fundamental question that all of us wrestle with and it's this, it's who am I, right? That is something that all of us have to answer. And um, it's interesting, you know, this, this idea, who am I, 
What, what, what is my life all about? Um, I have two daughters that are, are fifth graders. They're identical twins, Nora and Ashley. And um, you know, I, that most sociologists would say that this issue of ident- identity really starts to pick up right around middle school, high school, as kids are going through puberty, that this issue of ident- identity becomes massive. And I'm seeing that in my daughters already. Like my daughters, like they're asking this question a lot, like what's my thing? Like, is my thing a hobby? Is it riding horses or is it swimming? Is it a sport? Is it grades? Is it academics? Is it music? Like, it's this thing, like, what is the thing that's going to make me special? What is the thing that's like going to be the thing that I'm good at? That's something that they're thinking a lot about. I don't know if you know this, but fifth grade girls, there tends to be drama in fifth grade classrooms every once in a while. And they come home and they're like, oh man, this kid said this to this person and that person cried and it was crazy. And like, they're just getting more and more wrapped up in a little bit of drama because all of it's about friendships and who do I belong to and what's my identity. You know, the other thing I'm noticing is, is that they're increasingly sensitive, right? Some punk boy can make a comment just trying to be funny. And if my daughters take it the right way, it will devastate them for a week. And as they're growing up, I'm seeing this wrestle with identity happen right in front of my eyes. And um, I believe at the center of identity is this universal longing that we all have, and that's to be known, to be loved, and to belong. At the center of identity is this desire our hearts have to be known, to be loved, and to belong. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your race, your gender, what you believe, what part of the world you live in. There is a universal desire to be known, loved, and belong. And this is something we all feel. And if we don't have one of these things, it's very, very clear in our heart that something is massively broken. And I would argue this, I think if most of us could take a lie detector test and we had to be completely honest that most of us in this room would say our greatest fear is to be all alone. That at the end of the day, we just don't want to feel lonely. The idea that nobody sees, nobody cares, nobody loves us is a devastating thought. And it's interesting. I don't know what it's like now, but when I was in high school, you could see this play out so clearly just in a high school cafeteria. Do you remember what it was like? Like if you go to lunch at a high school cafeteria, what happens? All of the jocks, all of the athletes, they sit together, right? And guess what they do? They all wear the same clothes. They've got their football sweatshirts. They've got their soccer sweatshirts. They're wearing the athletic sweatpants. They all have the same haircuts, right? They all have a look. It's their crew. It's what makes them belong. And then at another table, you have all the smart kids, right, who are doing AP chemistry during lunch so they don't have too much homework. And they got their calculators out and they're crushing it. And they're, they dress the same. They look the same. And then at another table, you've got all the skater kids, right? And back when I was in high school, it was the big Janko jeans, the super baggy ones. That was the look. And you had the shoes and they would wear um, like flannel shirts was the look for skaters, but they all dressed the same way. Then you had the band kids. And and what was crazy when I was in high school, this is back in the early 2000s, the goth thing was huge. And, And there was this big goth movement. I don't know if it's still a thing. I'm old now, but it was like, I'm going to wear all black. I'm going to wear fishnets. I'm going to put white makeup on my face. My hair is going to be black. Everything's going to be black. And like their whole thing was, look how crazy I am. Look how different I am from everyone else. Well, that whole plan doesn't really work when you're sitting at a lunch table full of people who look exactly like you, right? So like even in this need to stick out, we've got to do it together because I want to be known, understood, and belong. 
And it's interesting, man, I know guys in their 40s and 50s that if you peel everything back in their life, at the end of the day, all they really want is to sit at the cool kid table and still just not able to recover from childhood or high school experiences where they felt all alone. And uh, what I would say is, is that the Christian worldview believes these longings are eternal. And this is where Christianity and secular humanism different, right? Christianity asserts that this longing we feel for identity is because our eternal souls long for relationship with our eternal creator. Secular humanism denies that. Secular humanism says there is no God, there is no creator, and your identity, it's all on you to create and make for yourself. And you've got to figure that out. Where the Christian worldview says, no, that ultimately our souls long for relationship with its creator, and we have an identity as created beings created by God. Our souls long for that relationship. And uh, the thing is, church, there's a million different things that we can try to put our identity in. We can put our identity in our money. We can put our identity in our hobbies, right? I'm a outdoorsman. I'm a hunter. I'm a crafter. Like, there's a million things that would say, this is who I am. Friendships, romance, work, athletics, beauty, success, all of these things we can believe. If I just have this, I will be okay and I have an identity. But Christianity asserts that these things ultimately cannot and will not satisfy our eternal souls. A couple passages in scripture that play this out. Isaiah 55, one and two says this. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. It says, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Well, what God is saying is this, don't run to the things that will not bring you satisfaction. You can find that in me. David says it so beautifully in Psalm 84, one and two. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Do you see that? What David understood is that he was most satisfied when he was nearest to the Lord. And he says, my soul longs, it even faints. Like if I don't have you, God, nothing else will satisfy me. Jesus says it in John 6, 35. He says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Over and over again, we see in scripture that the only thing that can truly satisfy our souls is the Lord. Anything else we look for, our ultimate identity is a dry well that will leave us wanting. And it's interesting, you know, even relationships as close as marriage cannot satisfy the eternal longings of our soul. Like I love Mary with all of my heart. And I have this saying that like, listen, if Mary and I are good, everything else can be on fire and we're good because that's how important we are to each other. If Mary and I are good, we're good. Um, If Mary and I aren't good and everything else is going great, I'm not good because that's how much I love Mary and we need to be unified and on the same page. But listen, church, I can't do for my wife what only the Lord can. And that is to satisfy the eternal longings of her soul. And by the way, marriage is just a picture of the love and intimacy that God desires to have with us. And what we're going to see right now in Matthew 3 is that Jesus cared a lot about our identity. Look at Matthew 3, starting at verse 13. It says this, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, uh, to John, to be baptized by him. 
And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be now so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. All right, so the baptism of Jesus, which we see here in Matthew 3, is a monumental moment in scripture and in world history. It is one of the few events that's recorded by all four gospels. We get the most in Matthew about what happened. And here's what you need to understand. Um, It says that Jesus went and got baptized by a guy named John. And John was the cousin of Jesus, and John was the last prophet to the nation of Israel. And God told John, John, you need to go out into the wilderness and you need to prepare my people for the coming Messiah. And John knew that it was Jesus. So John goes into the wilderness. He's a super eclectic dude, super charismatic. He's eaten honey and wild locusts and he's an incredible preacher. And he's telling the people of Israel, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying the Messiah is here. God's plan for salvation has come. You need to get your hearts ready, repent and get baptized. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance because here's what John knows, that he knows that for anyone, including us, if we don't come to a place of repentance, our hearts will never be ready to embrace Jesus. If we don't come to the end of ourselves, if we don't embrace the bad news of our need for a savior because of our sin, we'll never embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. So John is preparing people, repent and get baptized. His baptism was a baptism of repentance. All right, so now Jesus rolls in and he's like, John, I want you to baptize me. And John's like, no, I don't need to. In fact, you need to baptize me. All right, so why does John say that? Because he knows that Jesus is perfect. This is a baptism of repentance. And John's like, Jesus, you don't need to get baptized. In fact, I'm the sinful one. Will you baptize me? And um, it's, it's interesting. Notice how Jesus responds. Notice he doesn't say, no, John, I've got some sin that I've got to confess and repent of, and I'm just like everyone else. He doesn't say that. He acknowledges John's thought that, that he is righteous and that he is perfect. But look what he says. He says, let it be now so. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What Jesus is saying is saying, listen, this baptism that you're going to do for me, John, it's different. It's not about repentance, but it's to fulfill all righteousness. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, I need to get baptized because the people that got baptized because of repentance, they need a righteousness that is not their own, that will save them and make them right with God. And I will be that person. And Jesus says, when I get baptized, I am identifying with the sin and the guilt of the people who are repentant that I'm going to save. I am going to take on their guilt, their shame, their punishment, and I'm going to give to them my righteousness, which will allow them to have salvation. Here's the thing you need to see, church. Jesus was baptized to identify with us. When Jesus went into the water, it wasn't because he needed to repent. It's because he was going to take on the sin of the repentant people. Kent Hughes puts it this way. 
I think this is so beautiful. He says, Jesus' baptism is a symbol of the cleansing of our sins. As the water pours over our heads, we are made clean in the sight of God. And when Jesus went down into the water of the Jordan River, the opposite happened. He began to take on our sin, our dirt, all of the scum of all of the baptized. Whatever drop of water might have entered into his mouth was his first taste of the cup of God's wrath, which he would drink in full measure on the cross. The reason he did this to begin his ministry was he was beginning to identify with us, which he would most fully do on the cross as God poured out his wrath for our sin. So church, don't miss the beauty of this moment, that Jesus Christ, the eternal creating living son of God chose to identify with you and me. And there is this moment right after Jesus is baptized where it says the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And God the Father speaks and he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And John the Baptist is there, which by the way, Jesus would say at another point that John was the most righteous man to ever walk the earth. So in one moment, you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the greatest man to ever live, all affirming who Jesus was, who he is, and what he came to do. And that was to identify with you and me so that you and I could be reconciled to God. Man, doesn't God love us? This is a beautiful moment. But what I want you to see is is this was all about identity. Jesus was baptized to identify with us. And the fourth thing we're going to see is this. Jesus demands our baptism to identify with him. Jesus demands that followers of him, of his, be baptized to identify with him. In Matthew 28, 18, it says this. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the last instructions Jesus gives his followers before he ascends into heaven is he says, go into the world and make disciples. And part of that process is have them get baptized. Jesus calls followers of his to publicly identify themselves with Jesus. And by the way, we see this throughout the entire book of Acts. Right In Acts 2, at the beginning of the church, Peter preaches a message. The Holy Spirit descends on the disciples. 3,000 people are saved, and guess what they do? They get baptized. We see this multiple times happen in Acts 8. We see it happen in Acts 9. We see it happen in Acts 10. We see it happen in Acts 16. We see it happen in Acts 18, in Acts 19, in Acts 22. As the gospel goes forward and reaches the nations, what happened is people confess their sins, they trust Jesus, and they get baptized baptized, right? It is very, very clear. So the question is, is why? Why does Jesus want us to identify with him? How does our getting baptized identify with Jesus? Well, it does so in three ways. The first way is baptism identifies our story. Baptism identifies our story. When we go down into the waters of baptism, and then we come up, what we are saying is, is that we are cleansed of our sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and church, what I love about this place is, look around here for a second. Just look at all the people in the room. There are so many people in this room that you have nothing in common with, and yet we all share the same story. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, our story is, is that we have been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what he has done in our place. It's all about Jesus, that he loved, died so that we might have life. 
that our story is tied to Jesus and our identity is in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Second thing baptism identifies is our allegiance, right? When you get up publicly and you say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I put my faith in him. He is my savior. You're saying Jesus is Lord over my life. He has my deepest allegiance. And church, you need to understand that has huge implications. That means that you are yielding your life and your will to what Jesus says. Like church, we don't get to create a faith or a God after our own image. We don't get to say, man, I think God should be this way and I think the Bible should say this and if I don't agree with what God's word says, then I'm gonna do what I think is best. You're not worshiping Jesus. If that is your attitude, you're worshiping yourself. Being aligned with Jesus saying he is King of Kings, he is Lord of Lords. It is my job to submit my life to his will and his word. Our lives have to be marked by humility and obedience and repentance. And by the way, maybe this is the big idea of the whole series. Everything we're trying to accomplish is this. You can't claim to be a follower of Christ and buy into a worldview of our age that says everything begins and ends with you. It's incompatible. There has to be a rejection of a lie that says, if I just place myself selfishly at the center of my existence, it's going to bring joy, life, happiness, and fulfillment. We've tried to show you over and over and over again, it doesn't work. It's a false gospel. You and I belong to Christ. He has our heart. He has our lives. He has our allegiance. And then here's the third thing it does. It identifies our hope, right? We are saying that our hope is that just like Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, that our death is not the end of the story that we will rise again to be united with Christ and to be united with our loved ones who are in the Lord. We're saying that we are living for a moment that is greater than this moment, that our identity is eternal, it can't be taken, that even if we die, we are in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and we are identifying that Jesus has our hope. Jesus is after our identity. He gave his life to give us the exact thing our souls long for, that we would know, love, and worship our creator. And he demands that we publicly identify with him. Okay, so I'm gonna say this as clearly as I can. If you have given your life to Christ, if you're a Christian, and since making that decision, you have not publicly identified with Jesus, you are walking outside of obedience. You're not doing what God would call you to. He demands our public identification with him. Okay, so here's what I wanna do right now, just to be very, very clear. I wanna talk about two things baptism is not, and then I wanna talk about four really bad reasons not to get baptized today. Um, Really quick, baptism is not salvation. You don't get saved by getting baptized. Baptism is publicly identifying and proclaiming what God has already done in your heart. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's interesting. I've told this story before, but my wife went to a a school in Florida while she was finishing up her degree, and that school believed that you had to be baptized to be saved. And even if you trusted in Jesus, if you didn't get baptized, you weren't saved. And um, my wife didn't agree with that in their doctrinal statement, didn't believe it. And it was a really small school, and she, like, became a target. She had a classmate tell her, yeah, we know, like, all of the people who don't believe that, and we're going to win you over. And uh, at one class, they were talking about this because they talked about it a lot. And Mary goes, I just have one question. 
What about the thief on the cross? Right? Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he was dying and there was a thief that said, listen, we deserve to be here, but this guy does not. He is the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus says to him, hey, because of your faith, you, today you will be with me in paradise. Mary goes, that guy never got baptized. And they go, well, God can make exceptions to the rule. And Mary's like, well, then by definitions, it's not exactly a rule if God can make exceptions whenever he wants. Like, listen, baptism does not save. The gospels make it very clear. We are saved through faith in Jesus, repentance of sin, owning our sin, asking for forgiveness, believing that Jesus who is who he said he was and did what he said he did. It is a transformation of the heart. The baptism is a public identification of what God has done. And then here's the next one, and this one's important too. Um, it's not Christian steroids. A lot of times we have people come and they wanna get baptized and what they say is, is, listen, I've been baptized before, but I'm just not doing well in my faith right now. And I'm getting chewed up by sin. My relationships are broken. Things aren't good. And what I wanna do is I wanna get baptized to prove to God that I really love him and then he's gonna help make my life easier. Listen, it's not Christian steroids. Getting baptized is not a promise that things are going to get easier. In fact, it very well could mean that there's going to be more of an attack on the enemy that wants to derail you. It might even make things harder. But what it is, is an act of obedience, being faithful to do what Jesus clearly calls us to. Okay, so here's what I wanna do as we get ready to, to get baptized. It's this, I wanna talk about four really bad reasons not to identify with Jesus through baptism today. Here's the first. Um, I was baptized as an infant. And I want you to hear me. Um, we live in a area that is very, very reformed and Christian reformed. And I know that probably if I were to have you raise your hands, the majority of you were baptized as infants. And, and look at me, I think that's amazing. I, I think that's awesome. We do child dedications here. I was dedicated as a child. Other um, denominations do it differently. And, and here's what I would say. I think it's great that you got baptized as an infant. That was your parents going before the church saying, I want so badly for my son or daughter to have a faith in Jesus Christ. Like what an awesome gift that is. That's not something that we look down on or, or, or would discourage at all. But what I want you to understand is, is that's a decision your parents made for you in hopes that God would be faithful and bring that about in your life. But if baptism is all about identity, that means that after you have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, there's an identification statement that needs to happen from you. So I would encourage you, if you were baptized as an infant, that's awesome. Thank your folks for that, but don't let that prevent you from getting baptized now because Jesus demands that his followers, after they make the decision of faith, would come forward and get baptized. Does that make sense? Here's the second really bad reason. Um, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. And it's so funny, church. Every time we do one of these baptisms, like the next Monday or Tuesday, we'll get a call and someone's just a wreck on the phone. And they're like, I was at the baptism service and I knew I should have gone up, but I was too nervous and I didn't. Now I'm kicking myself. Like, when's the next baptism service? I'm so frustrated. Like, just don't be that person this week. How's that sound? Like, I'd be so pumped if we went a whole week and didn't have to have one of those calls because we acted out of obedience right now. Listen, what a great way to begin to retrain who's at the center of our lives by making this moment all about Jesus and what he's done for us, not about us and how we feel. That is the test of life right now. Am I gonna do what I feel and be led by my emotions? Or am I gonna do what the Lord calls me to? Don't let nervousness stop you. Here's one quick, the right people aren't here. Right, and I want my 
cousins to be here and I want my parents to be here and, and I wasn't ready. And, and here's what's amazing. All of these services are recorded. We will record every baptism. We will give that to you to send to all of your loved ones. And if they do truly love you, they're going to be thrilled that you made a moment and an act of obedience. Don't let that stop you. Then here's the last one. Um, I didn't come prepared. Some of you are like, I don't have clothes to change into. I don't know what it looks like. Listen, it's not our first rodeo. We're 11 years old now. We've been doing this for a long time. We have everything taken care of. We have makeup for you ladies to all look good after you get out from getting dunked. We've got hair products. We've got clothes for you to change into. We've got bags for you to put your dry clothes in. We have changing rooms downstairs. You're gonna be met. You're gonna be um, prayed over. We've got every product or thing that you would need. All you have to do right now is be willing to take the step of obedience. And so as clearly as I can, I am asking you, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you haven't been baptized. Let's do that right now. What a better way to celebrate God's faithfulness than to make this act of obedience. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And then my mom is right over there to the side. She is going to, uh, you can walk up these stairs. She's going to greet you, show you exactly where we go. Taylor's gonna sing a couple songs over us. Um, But right after I pray, we're all gonna stand. And if you are here today to get baptized, if you are going to embrace that call, I would ask you to step forward and we'll get after that right now. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you for this time. Um, I thank you for this ministry. I thank you for this church. I thank you for your faithfulness over 11 years. And uh, God, I just pray right now that today would be a celebration of, of people with hungry hearts to walk in obedience, making a bold step of obedience. And God, I know there's people on the fence right now and um, they're trying to go through every justification of why they shouldn't get baptized. God, I just pray that you would speak clearly into their hearts, that they would know that you love them that you've identified with them, that you care for them, that you desire them to walk in obedience. God, would you just break down walls that you need to break down? We're trusting you with that. We love you. We're so thankful for what you're doing. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.